Hello, everybody. This is the Cincinnati Herald podcast. I'm your host, John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald. If you don't know, the Cincinnati Herald has been around since 1955 and is the largest African-American newspaper in the greater Cincinnati area. And now let me present my guest. First, we have co-host and media consultant of the Cincinnati Herald, Andrea Carter. How are you doing today, Andrea? Fine. Thanks, John. How are you? I am doing just fine. Then we have circulation manager of the Cincinnati Herald, Wade Lacey Sr. How are you doing today, Wade? I'm doing well, and it's good to be here. Glad to have you. Then we have our Herald intern, Maeve Hamlet. How are you doing today, Maeve? I'm good. Thank you for having me. No problem. And then we also have special guest, Lincoln Heights Council member, uh, Durant Daniels. How are you doing today, sir? Pleasure having you. Happy. Thank you, guys. And we also have another special guest with us. We have the Director of Programs and Special Projects for the Lincoln Heights Movement, Carlton R. Collins. How are you doing today, sir? I'm doing all right. I can't complain. All right. Good to hear. Now, before we head into our main topic, let's dive into some of the other news topics of the week. And starting with our first topic, Peloton plans to spend about $400 million to build its first U.S. factory in Ohio. The exercise equipment maker said Monday that the Peloton Output Park will make the Peloton Bike, Bike Plus, and Peloton Tread starting in 2023. The site will eventually employ more than 2,000 workers. Andrea, your thoughts on this story? Oh, well, I think it's great that Peloton is growing. I think they've, they've caught onto a whole new industry that's making waves and everything else like that. And I'm glad that they're bringing some fresh manufacturing jobs to Ohio. Wade, your thoughts on this story? Anytime you're talking new jobs is good. The the problem that you can't run into a lot of times these companies will come in and say that they're going to do this and that, make a lot of promises, and they don't fulfill those promises. And more importantly, they get a lot of tax abatements and all types of uh, things that work in their favor, and then they don't produce. So hopefully they'll uh, live up to what they say. Uh, live up to the hype, as they say, and uh, come through with the 2,000 jobs. I think they're talking 2023 before this actually uh, they start producing up out there. But uh, hopefully they'll they'll uh, do what they say they're going to do. We get some new jobs out there, uh, and and everything is is flowing the way it should be. Maeve, your thoughts on this story? Yeah, I think um, any company bringing jobs to Ohio is a good thing in my book. Moving on to our next topic. It has been one year since the murder of George Floyd. Since then, his death has sparked demonstrations around the world, changes to law enforcement policy on the local and national level, and a high-profile trial which ended in the conviction of a former Minneapolis police officer for murder. In addition, President Joe Biden and Vice President Kamala Harris met privately with the family of George Floyd and their attorneys at the White House on Tuesday. Andrea, let me ask you, how much do you think has really changed since the death of George Floyd? I don't think much has changed, but I think more awareness has occurred. I think people who never believed a story of a person where they had an involvement with a police officer before, now they're seeing that their story may be true and then not true. I think more people who saw that video for the first time ever, you know, like, I think what's interesting is that we watch action shows, action movies, we see death and murder committed all the time, but it's very hard to 
but on an emotional level, let's put it like this, on an emotional level to see what happened to George Floyd. People who saw that video over and over again witnessed the murder of a man in real time. It wasn't audited, it wasn't video. I mean, it would just, it, there was nothing massaged about it. It was real time seeing what people have been complaining about. And I think that jerked a lot of people in the pandemic awake and they didn't know what to do. They, I mean, people were protesting, people were awake. So I think in terms of change, there's more people who can accept truth. And then there are more people who still don't want to accept it or don't really care. So I think, um, I hope Congress passes the George Floyd bill. It needs to be done because a message needs to be sent to people in um, authority. We want you to do your jobs, but you need to respect the people that you're doing the job for. And if you can't do that, then you need to step aside and pay the consequences of your actions on your job like everyone else does. Wade, your thoughts on the one year anniversary of the death of George Floyd? Well, like Ms. Carter said, I, I think that a lot of people uh, had their eyes awakened. Uh, it was similar to the, the mid 60s with uh, the civil rights movement and they showed everything on television, the dogs and the people being beaten and all that and everything. And so for a lot of people that didn't deal with that on a regular basis, it was it was like, oh, wow, we can't let this happen. That's not us, that's not, not, not America. And so it was a change had to be made immediately because so many people uh, was terrified or horrified at, at, at looking in the mirror, okay, and seeing what we was really like. So I think this uh, has kind of had the same effect uh, with so many people watching this over and over again and the big stage that the trial and all that was on uh, took place. This has really made a lot of people say, I'm a good person and I don't stand by something like this. So it has changed on both sides. Uh, you have a lot of people that want different things to happen so that this, this type of thing doesn't happen again. But at the same time, you look at some places, they're trying to outlaw uh, where you can't even film a police officer anymore. So uh, both sides are in action right now. So it, it, the change is, is there, but it's a battle uh, now between uh, good and evil, let's say, as to what will happen uh, going forward. Maeve, your thoughts? I think we've seen small victories in regards to George Floyd's murder, you know, with the police officers being held somewhat accountable for his murder. But I still think there's so much more room for improvement, especially within the police force and the systemic racism, you know, kind of in how America is built off of. So I think we're heading in the right direction, but I still think there's so, so much more room to improve. Moving on to our third topic, 2021 also marks another anniversary. It has been 100 years since the Tulsa Race Massacre, which has been called the single worst incident of racial violence in American history. Mobs of white residents attacked Black residents and Black businesses of the Greenwood District in Tulsa, Oklahoma. The attack destroyed more than 35 square blocks of the district, which was known as Black Wall Street. Some historians say as many as 300 Black people were killed and another 10,000 were left homeless. Andrea, your thoughts on this 100th anniversary of the Tulsa Race Massacre? I say it's time that Oklahoma acknowledge a terrible moment in their history. And I, I think the community needs to wear their shame. 
and admit what they did was wrong and make retribution to those families that were affected by the massacre. The fact that you have one lone witness who's over 100 years old speaking out about what happened when she was a little girl is horrible to think that she has to do that. But I think the fact that the incident has covered has been covered up for so long and now it's coming out and everyone's getting antsy again about that. You know, even though you cannot prosecute, you can prosecute the town for covering it up. And someone needs to pay a price for history and the truth and bring shame on them and those people who did it. But until that happens, all we can do is honor and pray that if we build another Black Wall Street, it will not be destroyed like it was before. Wade, your thoughts on this story? It, just, it serves to remind us that uh, these last four years, a lot of people was trying to uh, create this again. A lot of people was trying to make a, another race a war type of thing, and and this was the model that they had uh, to, to to eliminate a whole community uh, uh, to, to start a race war. Uh, these last four years, we've come very close to that mindset again, and it's and it's still out there. And so this is a good time to to re re reflect, and and you think a hundred years, you think oh those those people were back there a long time ago. We don't. You know we we're civilized, <laughs> uh, but as you as you as all of us know, uh, the same thing that happened in the past can happen today. And so uh, it's 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 more of a uh, reminder that uh, we we are so close to to uh, actions like that again. Maeve, your thoughts on this story? Yeah, like Andrea said, I feel like the city needs they need to wear their shame. You know, this was a traumatic event for thousands and thousands of people and people are still alive that went through this and they still feel like, you know, their justice hasn't been served. And I think it needs to be more acknowledged and taught in schools. And I think these people need to get their justice. And now moving on to our final topic, eight people were killed and several more were injured Wednesday morning when a gunman opened fire at a rail yard near San Jose, California. The gunman was later identified as maintenance worker Samuel Cassidy, who shot and killed himself at the scene. This tragic news comes after there were at least 12 mass shootings over the weekend, which took place across eight states. Andrea, your thoughts, and do you think this tragic incident will hopefully lead us to more you know, gun control talks? I'm hoping. I mean, what we have witnessed over the last decades hasn't. When do we say enough is enough? When will politicians finally admit something more needs to be done than just gun control or prohibiting a certain gun? When does it come, when do we have to say that there is something going on in our country where people are choosing to pick up a gun and deal with their issues by taking out others around them? When do we admit that there is a, something sick about our society when this happens and it's not being addressed because if it, if, if, if it was reverse and if it was a lot of um, black and brown people doing this, you know there would be something done right away, but it's not. So all I can say is I hope the politicians pick up and say, okay, enough is enough. We have to pass this and maybe kick the Republicans in the rear and actually do something about gun violence and gun control for the first time ever than just keep spouting stuff 
that the NRA puts out. Wade, your thoughts? Well, I think it's going to be a long, hot summer this year. And I, I believe that we'll probably see more and more of this. It seems now that it's also involved now to do these shootings and then shoot yourself or kill yourself. So they don't have any fear of being shot because they're going to kill themselves anyway. So I think we're going to have a long summer to see that trend happening for the rest of this year. I don't think that anything will change in terms of uh, gun control or anything unless we have a, a youth movement. And when I say youth movement, I mean the 20s and 30s uh, group of uh, young folks out there. It, it, until they band together as a group and, and, and said that they want something different, uh, I don't think anything will happen. But if you get a youth movement in, in that age group, the 20s and 30s, and they uh, get behind uh, this, this change, this mindset change of, of, of uh, having all types of artillery and everything, uh, I don't think it will Maeve, what are your thoughts on this story? I think America needs more than thoughts and prayers in regards to mass shootings. I think it's traumatizing for so many people. And I think, yeah, like we have a long summer ahead of us and scary too when schools are open back up, you know, you can't help but think based off of our track record. In 2021, I think there's been a mass shooting almost every single day. And it's like when these big crowds are starting to regroup and big events are happening again, you know, you can't help but think that, you know, what's going to happen if we don't have change soon. You know, we need more than thoughts and prayers. And that wraps up some of the news topics of the week. And now we'll switch to the second half of the show and talk about the Lincoln Heights movement with our special guest today. Um, so can you tell us about these, um, the Lincoln Heights movement? Yeah, so so the the, the Heights movement was, um, I guess you know we had our, our I guess our original founding back in 2017. It was a response to an article that came out in the Atlantic. And it was the destruction of a black suburb, um, specifically focused on Lincoln Heights. And myself and um, you know one of our partners, his name is Court Tillmeyer. We were we were sitting in his uh, living room. We we're reading the article, and we kind of decided you know what we were going to do. You know. Um, we feel like our, our generation is one of action. And, um, you know, so we wanted to take some action and we decided to jump into the political arena and run for council here in the village of Lincoln Heights. So we 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 knew that in order to win, though, we would need a team. And in the process of building a team, we kind of built some of a coalition and the coalition kind of joined it, grew into a movement. So um, that's kind of how the Heights movement got started. Um, from a really just wanting to get the residents of Lincoln Heights re-engaged in the political process. Um, once again, to kind of just take back uh, ownership of their government. So that's where we got started in 2017. Um, you fast forward um, to 2020. Um, once again, you know, the pandemic hit, hit all of us hard in a lot of different ways and it affected our community in a very unique way. Um, one thing that all, about the Heights movement as well is that all of the leadership, um, for myself, Carlton Cord, uh, Brandon Warder, Keith Mitchell, you know, there's a lot of us, especially at the time, um, Celeste Treese, um, we, we all, we all have hands-on experience with working with kids and we all love not just our kids, but just the, the, the thought of knowing that the youth will be that true. I know it's a cliche, but the youth will be the true uh, future, not just for us in the village of Lincoln Heights, but for Hamilton County and, and in other places as well. So knowing that and seeing that when you come into the pandemic situation, we saw that our kids were not going to have a consistent basis to get something to eat. So 
what we did is that we, we, we reached out to other churches. We reached out to other um, nonprofit organizations, other service providers and say, hey, how can we organize to make sure that at least our kids can be fed? That grew into, okay, how can we make sure that our adults can be fed to, you know, our whole community being fed to, you know, where it's, you know, I think the quote is somewhere around 25,000 meals where it was hot meals or, or, or produce meals that were just given out um, throughout the time of the pandemic. But that's what it did for the organization where it allowed us to kind of get more organized because we saw that there is a true need for for not just the service of 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 being there when the community needs it, you know, because obviously, you know, the pandemic will end. But we saw there was a true need for engagement and empowerment in the residents. And, and that's where we, we, we kind of were blessed enough to partner with the Obama Foundation and My Brother's Keeper. And, and once again, that gave us another leg up into how can we as Heights, how can we as a Heights movement empower our residents to not only think about, you know, you know what jobs they have right now or thinking about, you know, how can they get on with the day-to-day -day li day -day lives, but think about what problems do they want to solve and how can we empower them to solve those problems? And that's kind of been the journey that we've been on for the past year. So within that, obviously, taking on the gun range, and I want Carlton to really um, to, to emphasize on that, but just from a high school perspective, some of the projects that we've taken on, especially over the past year, through the gun range advocacy. We've also created an 80-foot mural that sets a historical timeline of the residents here in Lincoln Heights. And that mural was done by the hands of the young people within the community. They were able to make a living wage stipend. So we want to thank our partners with Artworks and Arts Wave, General Electric, um, for really, and, and the Center for Closing the Health Gap for helping us make that happen. And then you fast forward to where we are now and to just building an innovation center where our young people will have the ability to have hands-on experience to 3D printers, screen press machines, just, just the exposure and the future of work. We want to now provide that for our residents because once again, we want them to think about not necessarily what jobs they want, but what problems they want to solve and how we can help them empower, how can we empower them to solve those problems? And I think this would be a great time, once again, to segue into call to Collins because one of the biggest problems that we saw in the community was this gun range that's been sitting here for 75 years and, and the trauma and, and the and the overall damage and scars that has caused our community. So we saw that as a problem, um, and not just us, but generations of people in the community saw it as a problem. And, and, and then we, you know, once again, just, I think through the fact that sitting through the pandemic, our students sitting through the pandemic, having to hear those traumatic and violent sounds of automatic weapons, concussion grenades, you know, earth shattering and house rattling sounds uh, coming from the, the Cincinnati police firing range that does not service our youth or our, our residents uh, was a problem that needed to change. So I'll let Carlton um, introduce himself and really kind of hit on that piece. But yeah, that's that's the Heights Movement in the Shell. If you want more information, please feel free to follow us at theheightsmovement.org. And I think Durant's, you know, captured it really, really well. Part of our advocacy around this gun range, you know, it, it kind of started. So I got back, you know, Heights Movement started in 2017. I got back into the community in 2018, um, working for Lincoln Heights Outreach. So I was running the, the after school program, summer camp. So right in Lincoln Heights Elementary. And of course, we had a bunch of partners in the community and that whole piece. And the thing that it that really hit me you know, having lived out there for a time growing up, but, you know, all of my best friends and 
and a good number of family members always lived in Lincoln Heights. So it, it became part of, you know, it was, it was normal, right? The normalization of hearing gunfire, like that's what we're talking about here. And we're not talking about a few, like a, a limited amount of gunfire. And, and this came out of the report. So, you know, we started pushing and doing our advocacy, but came out in report. These are the numbers that uh, Chief Elliot Isaac stated. Um, so there's about, there's over 35,000 gun training hours that occur um, at this facility. They shoot 300 days a year, six days a week, seven hours a day, and have done so for 74 years. And the seven hours a day, that's a new phenomenon. That's, I'll give them grace and say it's been the last two years. But when we were kids, it was sun up to sundown. You could always hear gunshots. Just it never, it never really mattered what time it was. And my experience with it is is kind of unique in the fact that there's a there's a fence there and kind of like a little tree line or whatever the case is, but pretty much 50 yards directly or less. Um, that's that's where my best friend grew up at. So. You know, the, the amount of hours I spent playing basketball on that court 50 yards from where they were shooting is just incredible, right? And, you know, so I'm sitting there, it's 2018, I'm sorry, 2019. I'm sitting there, it's 2019, and I'm just, I'm like, you know, how are we, you know, what can I do to ensure, to tell the story and really get on this spectrum of healing for my kids, right? So one of the frustrations that I had was the fact that, you know, for the summer, we would hire 12 teachers, you know, a teacher, teacher assistant for every grade. It's about, you know, combating summer, summer learning loss. There's also a STEAM camp, all of those kinds of things. And the thing that really bothered me most was the fact that I couldn't adequately tell my teachers what they could expect in terms of some of the issues that the kids were dealing with. Right. It had never been identified. Like, so when you talk about kids who have maybe certain issues with aggression, and if you're born and raised in the Cincinnati area, everybody know folks from Lincoln Heights is a little temperamental. <laughs> we um, are, are known to, to fight from time to time. And, you know, but part of it was because there's never been any conversation any substantive and, and prolonged conversation about this gun range and talking about the effects of, of hearing these gunshots, right? So it's particularly in kids when you're talking about toxic stress and you're talking about ACEs, which is adverse childhood experiences. For it never to be, never assigned as to why kids are dealing with some, some, some of the issues that they were dealing with in terms of anger, in terms of volatility, uh, which it, it, it resembles a lot of PTSD in terms of the symptoms and long-term symptoms of folks who come back from war, having seen some of the things that they've seen, experienced some of the things that they've experienced. I would argue that a child who has lived in Lincoln Heights from birth till he's about 10 years old has heard more gunshots probably than someone who's been in the military. It became really, really important to us, one, to sustain a conversation around this gun range, but, but two, you know, really be able to understand the negative impacts that it's had on children and the community from in an intergenerational way because it's been here for 74 years and we're 75 years old this year so that was the big thing for us it was like how do we you know snatch back this narrative and more importantly how do we get people to understand 
kids who grow up in Lincoln Heights just a little bit better, show a little bit more empathy and understand some of the things that we've been dealing with historically due to the gun range. Uh, and I'll finish with this and, and kind of turn it back over. And it's not just Cincinnati Police Department who uses the range. It's also the FBI, the DEA, ATF, U.S. Marshals, Evendale Police. They do SWAT training there and they do sniper training. So it comes from a, a lot of different agencies and, and it's not just Cincinnati Police Department, even though they are the, the main practitioners with their thousand officers. And yeah, so it's it's definitely a problem. <laughs> and it's one that we've been dealing with for so long and we're just happy to be able to put some sunlight on it. Now, I don't know if you guys mentioned this, you probably did, but if you wanted to get involved with the Heights Project, uh, how would you get involved with that? So the easiest way to, to get involved is just go to our website, just www.theheightsmovement.org. There you will also see some of the, the, the benefits and Durant's mentioned them, you know, of this doing this advocacy work is that we had the opportunity for a lot of partners to come to the table and that's corporate partners, community partners, as well as philanthropic partners. Um, those partners came to the table and um, have allowed us to just do a lot in terms of um, programming and access and be able just to, to make uh, positive and sustainable impact in the community of Lincoln Heights. So going to the website, if there's something that you want to do specifically, by all means, hit the contact us, fill out the little form or come straight to the email, and then we can have conversation about how you want to serve or get involved. For us, we're still very hands-on in all facets of, of the organization. And we definitely, if, if you want to volunteer or if you want to contribute financially or even just signing the petition, just visit the website and, and, and just all support is welcome. But if you want to get your hands dirty, we definitely have some opportunities for you. And then, like as Carlton said, you can always check out our community calendar on our website as well. It's like every Saturday from, from 10 to 2, um, we have a produce market. Once again, it's just a great opportunity. You can come on out, meet the team, um, meet some of our great volunteers from the community, greet some of our great corporate partners as well. But um, yeah, that once again, every, everything you can find is on our website. Um, from, from from donations to, to giving your time or giving your talent. Man, you know, the Village of Lincoln Heights is a great community. And just having you, once again, just coming on out and, and, and rubbing elbows with some of these great folks, I think it'll be a life-changing experience. I really do. That's great to hear. I'm glad you guys, um, you know, put a spotlight on this issue that, you know, that's been ignored for so long. So we really, really appreciate that. However, we are running a little short on time, so um, we got to wrap it up. Is there anything else you guys want to talk about before we um, wrap everything up? Just, just on my end, you know, I, once again, the work from, from a Black journalist perspective, um, on that, and like I said, I'll wrap it up on this because what we focus on from the Heights Movement, I know I said it so many times, right, is innovation and, and thinking about ways, there's, how do we solve problems? What you all do at the Herald is, is unbelievable because you're giving a voice to, to not just people who, who not always have that voice, but you're also hiring and employing people that look like us and giving them that power of the pen to tell these stories. So I, you know, just kudos to the great work that you guys are doing once you get, you know, I think they said since 54 and, and, and man. So once again, I just want to thank you guys for the great work that you're doing. You know, once again, please follow us at theheightsmovement.org. And I'm looking forward to, to the many more conversations and, and working with you all in, in, in the future for, you, for, for years and years to come. Absolutely. Thank you. 
Yes. And um, I also want to thank uh, my guests, Andrea, Wade, and May for coming on and talking about uh, the other news topics of the week. Thank you so much, guys. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you, Sean. Make sure to check out all the stories we talked about today on our website at www.thecincinnatiherald.com. You can also check out our print edition, which is sold at your local Kroger, UDF, Walgreens, Joseph Beth Booksellers, and at select service stations. Make sure to subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast um, site. We are on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Stitcher Radio, iHeartRadio, Amazon Music, Audible, and TuneIn Radio. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald podcast. Make sure to follow us at the Cincinnati Herald on Facebook. Follow us at Cincy Herald on Twitter, Instagram. Follow us on YouTube. Just search for the Herald TV. And you can also follow us on our TikTok channel. Just search for the Cincinnati Herald. Also, owning it, Ohio and Kentucky, the home ownership webinar is on Saturday, June the 12th from 12 to 1.30 p.m. Make sure to get your tickets now. The link for this event will be in the podcast description. I'm John Alexander Reese, digital editor of the Cincinnati Herald, and have a good day.